Hi there. Thanks for joining our podcast at Renew Church OC. We're a church for imperfect people only. This is Pastor Wilson. We're continuing through the book of James with our theme for the next two weeks being how to use your voice. We live in a society where it's celebrated to say anything, to text anything, to troll anything. But Christians are to use their voice in a really different way. So when we think about politics, commenting on threads, or talking to our brothers and sisters in church, how are we using our voice in a way that glorifies God and advances His kingdom? Thanks for listening. All right, welcome back. Hope you had a lively discussion. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit about the second question uh, later in the sermon. But for the first question... It's very obvious to me who I'm most offensive of. Um, the first picture is of Levi. So if you look at his face, it's already kind of sad. Like, how do you not defend your chunky baby, right? Especially when he's already looking a little sad. Uh, second picture is Liam putting on sunglasses. So he looks super cool and grown for a three and a half year old. But Liam's a pretty sensitive kid. I think all kids are really uh, sensitive. You know, when you say something to an adult, they have filters. Um, they can distinguish who they are from what you're saying. Kids kind of just take it in right away. And the third photo is them playing with Liam's underwear, which is awesome. And so, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, no surprise to you, right? If, if someone came to my house, started attacking my kids, I would ask them to leave. Someone came to renew and started attacking any of our kids. I would ask them to leave. It, it's a really simple concept, and and more than that, you know what you say to my kids and how you treat them is pretty much how I feel like you're treating me. But maybe even more so, like when you're kind to my kids, I receive that deeper. When you speak well of them, it it it's like it's like you're speaking well of me, but I feel it even more. And if someone, again, was rude to them or short with them, um, I would feel really offended. And it's so meaningful that no matter what you say to me, like no matter how nice you are to me, what gifts you buy me, uh, how well you speak of me, if you tell me, you know, oh, you're smart, you're a great preacher, you know, what else? Um, any other plethora of my great attributes, uh, but you're mean to my son, whatever you said of me that is kind would become completely meaningless, right? It wouldn't matter. I still wouldn't like you. If you said all these nice things to me and attacked my son, I would, I would, it would feel completely void of, of meaning. And, and I would weigh what you said about my child so much deeper. Again, not not anything new. Any parent would understand it. But even if you're not a parent, I remember in junior high, people would like trash each other. Someone would say a, a mean, you know, line. And then you would just say your mama, right? The perfect comeback because it's someone they cared about. Everyone loves their mom. And so immediately that person would feel like, oh, that's worse than whatever I said to you because you saying it to my mom is like more hurtful, right? That's how we feel about the people we love. And I think the most basic kind of summary of the sermon is exactly that. We can't praise God while cursing people. Because people are made in his image. People are his, his kids. When we curse, slander, are mean to other humans, um, he takes it personally. 
It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can, a f- can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James here is just pointing out the absurdity of being able to sing a worship song, pray a prayer, and then be uh, rude or curse or devalue someone who God's made, who reflects him, who is an image bearer of him. And just like you can't have salt and fresh water come out of the same spring, it's an impossibility. Just like it's impossible for a fig tree to bear olives, it's also impossible to praise God while cursing people made in his image. Again, I go back to the me and Liam analogy. You guys all get that. You guys get that you can't be mean to my kids, uh, cuss them out, and then be like, hey, Wilson, let's go grab a beer. You know, you, you get that. You can't just like be mean to Levi and roll him around and he's crying and then be like, Wilson, we're best friends. Like, that doesn't work. Now, can we carry that concept into the way we're treating um, other people who God's made, who reflect him, who he loves and cares about? That when we speak poorly of them, when we slander them, when we judge them, God, we can't be cool with God. He's their father and he loves them. So let me delve a little deeper, even though that's kind of the whole sermon, into two words, and then I'll give us a few applications. The first word is, what does it look like to be made in God's image? In James chapter 3, verse 9, the imago Dei. So I have four things here. The first is that the image of God is a phrase applied only to humans. It distinguishes us from the rest of creation. So no other creation, bird, Uh, mammal, fish, bears God's image. This is a gift that he gives to humanity. And it gives us value in a very unique way because our value is tied in to God. We're a reflection of him, just like Liam and Levi are reflections of me. So what does that look like? There's three things. First, God's image in his essence. We carry his image in the essence of who we are, in the essence of humanity. Humanity is in some way like God. The copy is like the original creator in some ways. And so what are the ways that we hold the essence of God? I think the biggest one is that we have a spirit. So we are an eternal being. Other than that, our capacity to love, create, communicate are all unique to our humanity and the essence of who we are, our, uh, our ability to reflect him. Secondly, we reflect God in our function. So humanity is made to steward and master uh, creation. The reverse is not the case. And so when God created Adam and Eve, he created us to steward creation. He created us to rule like God in uh, domains that he's given us. And, you know, we all have domains, uh, even right now. We have domains over our own life. Uh, We have domains over our family, over our kids. Nina is basically Levi's God, right? Like she meets every need he has. He only wants Nina, 
you know, food's there, love is there, protection is there, warmth is there. And in some ways, Nina's um, mirroring the image of God by provide being Le- Levi's provider in all of those ways. And thirdly, um, we are the image of God as a community or in community. The image of God is described with the language of plurality. So when God made humanity, he said, let us make uh, humans in our image. So there's a, a plurality there. And it points to the Trinity. It points that to us as humans are reflecting um, God individually in our essence and function. But the communities that we have are also a reflection of his image, whether that's church or family or friendships, um, the nation. Those are aspects of God. that community is a, is a reflection of who God is. Let me give you an example of that. So if you are Muslim or Jewish, you believe that God is one. You don't have a Trinitarian view. You don't believe in three persons, one God. God is completely one. And so to imitate God um, means to imitate that singular existence. So for all of eternity, the Muslim and Jewish God was alone until they created. And so the perfect image and reflection of God would be to be alone. When I'm isolated, I am most like God. Now that's how this is different because God is, our God, the Christian God, is a Trinitarian God. So that means for all of creation and all of eternity, God was not alone. He forever existed in community. In the community of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In all of um, time, there was a relationship of love. There's a relationship of sub- subordination. There's a relationship of fellowship, of caring for each other, of, of dialogue and communication. There's this eternal dance that they've always done and that we are joining into. So in community, we are reflecting God. Maybe a very practical violation of this is when Christians says Christians say that they don't need the church. And I would say that if you're trying to practice your spirituality individually, you're not mirroring or reflecting the image of God as the Trinity. That it's in a church uh, relationship that we are most like God as the Trinity. So we carry the image of God in our essence, in our function, and in community. So what does it look like to curse? Um, In James chapter 3, verse 9, it says, With our tongues we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who is made in God's likeness. So when we think of cursing, we often think of, again, the alphabet and the bad words we're not supposed to say, right? The A word, the B word, the C word. Is there a D word? I don't know. The F word, uh, the S word. And we have, as Christians, just thought of this, here's the words you can say, here's the words that are curse words, and you just stay away from these words, and you're kind of fine. But I actually think that's an extremely shallow theology and concept of how to use words. So I'm just going to make a, um, 
a statement here saying that calling someone an idiot is far more sinful than saying the F word when you stub your toe, okay? So, and the reason why is because when we talk about cursing um, in, in scripture, we think about, what I think about is what, what are we devaluing that God values, right? Most curse words or, or words that we deem as sinful are really adjectives, are really descriptors. But it's the subject that matters. Is the subject something that God is elevating and saying has value, reflects me, is sacred, and we're de-elevating that? Or is the subject something God wants to curse as well or is, um, is evil? And, and that's how we should think of language. It, it needs to be in context. And so what is sacred? Uh, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? Exodus 27 says, do not use the Lord, uh, the name of the Lord your God in vain. In Matthew 12, 22 to 23, it talks about blaspheming the Spirit, that uh, attributing the Spirit's work in someone's life or your life as the work of a demon is unforgivable. That's what Jesus is saying there. Are we careful in the way we speak about God and to God? Are we careful in the way that we use uh, his name? Because his name is sacred. You know, when I think about how the Jews use language, it wasn't about what words you don't use because it's sinful. It's about the words you don't use because it's too holy. Right? They never said the name of God because it was too holy. When scribes were writing the name of God, after they pinned down the name, they would like bathe, change their pen. It was this whole process of like, I'm unworthy of these sacred things because they are of the Lord. You see how that's different than like, here's a list of words you shouldn't say. But people are sacred as well. Because we're image bearers. What you say about other people, you're saying about God. Because God loves them, they're his offspring, and they are image bearers. And lastly, I would say the church is something we need to be careful um, in how we speak of it. I'm not saying we can't uh, point out areas of improvement or, or call out sin even. But are we doing it in a way that blasphemes the church, that tears it down, that especially gives people who aren't at church an, a concept of it that is useless or meaningless or unnecessary? Because the church is the bride of Christ. How would Jesus want his bride being spoken about? The church represents the Trinity. It's the image of community in, in the closest way. So how does God want his image spoken of? There needs to be gentleness and kindness. There needs to be grace. And we need to be calculative. We need to tame our tongues as we speak about the sacred. I'm going to give you an example that I really didn't want to share or was really debating. So my mouth is not super clean a lot of times, especially when I'm by myself, especially when I'm driving. And so one of the combination of words that I used to say is holy, you know, fill in the blank. And usually I don't feel that bad about cussing because of, you know, this whole thing I've laid out. I think context matters. But 
God convicted me time and again uh, where this word holy is reserved for him. And it, it, it should not be combined with, you know, the S word. And, and there was this theology that developed out of that. He, you know, as, I, as he convicted me, um, I thought about his throne room. The angels singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty day and night. And that this word is to describe him alone. Right? It's, it's for God. And so we need, again, deep theology. And, and I repented because, not because I shouldn't say a sound, you know, that carries meaning and that sound is somehow deemed wrong. It actually wasn't the S word that I was repenting over. It was the word holy. I was misusing the sacred word. And I wonder if we can keep what God finds a value we need to value in the way we speak of it. So how do we use our voice? First, we need to remember the power and weight of our words and tame our tongue, restrain them. You know, I want to say that um, we our words carry significant power, especially over our function as image bearers. So when we have dominion over something, my words carry the most power over renew. Uh, over another church, my words don't carry that power because God hasn't called me to steward that. Does that make sense? If I speak over Ambassador or John MacArthur's church, I, God hasn't asked me to steward those churches. So my, my words don't have authority, but they have authority at renew. Right? Ben's words have authority over the worship ministry, over match and attached. Right? We have authority over what he's given us dominion over. We, as parents, have huge authority over our children in how we speak of them. If you look at the Old Testament, the patriarchs, what they said over their children in their blessing, in their prophecy, or in their curses, rippled through the rest of their life. It's it was, um, it was an epicenter. There's, there was this moment, me and Liam were playing Brawl Stars, and we lost. I, I move and he shoots. Um, and he looked up at me and said, it's okay, when we lose, we try again. I had said that to him two weeks ago. And I realized it's become his internal voice. And that humbled me and scared me. Because... What I say to him will be what he says to himself. As parents, we need to have a, you know, stewardship in, in God's kingdom is service, right? We serve others. Um, how can we serve people with the voice we give them? And, and we have the greatest authority over our own lives. Our words impact our own life the most, right? That's what we have the most authority in. Um, Kenan talked about the words being a rain um, over our whole body or a rudder over our whole life. And I had this concept years ago. Think speaking is the first decision we make. Our thoughts are kind of muddled. I would say most of our thoughts aren't decisions yet. They're options. But when we say something, we've taken what's in our brains, the different 
avenues of choices, and, and it's our first step into one. And then as we say it, we act upon it. As we act upon it, it becomes a habit, and then it becomes our character. So we have to watch our words. You know, I was, uh, there's someone that I've been upset with, and I'm, I want to say, I wanted to say a line, and the Lord just kind of pulled my words back into my mouth, said, if you say that, you're committing, you're making a decision to sin and to speak poorly of this person. Um, that's why I, we need to restrain our words, because it's, it's our first clear decision, which will determine the course of our life, as Kenan talked about. And that's why we need to bless instead of curse. We need to make a decision to bless people, right? That's what Jesus says. To bless our enemies instead of curse them. To do good to them. You know, when you make a decision to bless someone, you can't simultaneously bless and curse one a singular subject or person. So when you're making a decision to bless them, you are taking away uh, and working in your soul out the bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. Uh, we need to show honor and grace instead of judgment. That's another way that we misuse our words, right? We judge other people. And it's okay to look at someone's actions and, and say that that's wrong. I think we're to do that and especially confront them over it. But judging is different. Judging is um, standing over the person in value, saying I'm better than you, Right, Because you're incompetent, you're immoral, you're not doing this correctly. You're not as smart as me. You don't have as much money as me. You're not as beautiful as me. You're not as godly as me. It's a judgment of um, value. And that's something that God is commanding us not to do. One of the easy ways I do this, um, me and my friend were talking about another pastor and you know his inadequacies, which we shouldn't have done. Um, but, it, you know, most of it was true. But I ended that conversation with, yeah, but I have my sexual addiction, you know? So it's like, am I better? No, nothing we've said about this pastor and their leadership is worse than my, my own struggle. And I would just challenge you, like, as you go into um, a judgmental mode, finish that thought with your worst sin. And you'll realize that we're all in need of grace. How do we honor people? Um, I think about David uh, who honored Saul in the midst of being chased by him. When we decide to honor instead of judge, we're actually speaking more of our own character than we are of the person. When someone talks about someone else, they're not revealing who that person is. They're really revealing who they are, and what's in their heart. And people who choose to honor um, are choosing to have a posture of humility instead of pride. Lastly, instead of slandering, we confront and restore. How do we um, do Matthew 18 well? How do we come in front of someone and say, hey, you hurt me, or you or you?" Um, violated um, an, a, an ethic that I'm really concerned with you on and have these face-to-face -face conversations. In uh, verse 7 and 8, it says, All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, sea creatures, being tamed, 
have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. We need God's help in order to tame the tongue. We need God's help in order to uh, partner with him and saying, God, how do I speak? You know, the most powerful way you can speak um, is to ask, Lord, what are you already doing and saying into this person? You know, Maurice was just telling me how their small group did our exercise, our application where they shared words of life to each other. And I think the words that really resonated were, were words where we are carrying God's heart and love for that person in an audible way. We're to be the mouthpiece of God for our families and coworkers, those who are depressed and down and out. We are to speak what God's saying to them. And Satan wants to do that with us as well. He wants us to be his mouthpiece, right? So he'll put thoughts in our hearts. He'll put thoughts in their hearts. And he wants us to water the seeds of destruction that he's already placed inside of someone else. Will we be a mouthpiece for the Lord or a mouthpiece for Satan? Um, I have an example of this, but I have to give some disclaimers because it does have to do with politics. And I, and I kind of want to put these disclaimers out there anyways. First, Renew and Pastor Wilson on politics. We're nonpartisan. We put our hope in Jesus. We'll never tell you how to vote um, because both political parties represent the kingdom and also do disservice to it. They're not perfect. Um, we will talk about theological issues with political implications, but we'll start from a theological basis. And lastly, we will encourage political engagement and, and education as a part of our call to renew the city. All right, it's on the slide. And then I take off my pastor hat and I put on my Wilson as an American citizen hat, okay? So this is me on politics. I believe that it's important for every American to participate in the public discourse of politics, um, maybe especially in this election. And so I've been doing that over my Facebook. And I've realized that one of my greatest calls is to not only have rational conversation with people, um, but model a healthy dialogue. Like, I almost care more about how I'm speaking to someone else. And I find that as important as the arguments I'm actually making. Because we've, as a nation, forgot how to have conversations with people we disagree with. We don't know how to do that. We're preschoolers. Everyone's yelling, no one's listening, and no one's actually exchanging ideas, okay? Um, there's a few things I blame this on. One is the internet. You know, I remember when uh, gaming started and there was a chat box. And I remember seeing language just degrade year after year because all of a sudden you're anonymous and the person pretty much is unhuman. They're anonymous too. So you can just say whatever you want, right? And then we have a whole trolling culture that came out of that. A few years before that, I got in a fight for talking trash to someone at basketball. You see the difference? There used to be consequences for our words. You used to have to say something and then be willing to fight, you know, in order to, in order to back up what you're saying. Like you were starting a fight. Now you're just saying stuff, right? Now everyone on the internet is just saying stuff. Um, so what's important to me uh, is how we communicate as Christians. And Christians, I think, have been as detrimental and devices as, as any, any other 
category of people. Um, how do we humanize the cop who's trying to get home to his family and serve his community? Because most of them come uh, clock into work wanting those two things. How do we humanize uh, the protester who, who's angry? And, and think about all the people that have lost their lives that look like them over centuries. How do we humanize Trump supporters and Biden supporters and not just dismiss a whole category of people because of political beliefs, to demonize them, to uh, believe that everyone's a racist? You know, when, when I'm having this conversation on my Facebook, um, those were my goals. And I'll point to one specific illustration, right? I, I mean, the cool thing about talking on my Facebook page is that I'm having conversation with people that I actually know, which is, again, very different than most threads, right? And we're actually exchanging ideas. And, and at some point, it became like uh, more inflamed. Uh, and I made a, a, like a commitment not to personally attack anyone, but I felt a little bit attacked. And so I was going to do what I've taught to do, cancel, delete, you know, defriend, right? That's my re initial reaction. Um, so I'm on this person's Facebook page and I see that um, her mom lost her house in, in, in one of the fires and they're doing a, a GoFundMe. And um, I remember, again, that she's human, she's hurting, She's uh, someone I had met, like she's real. And then I started just texting her about that. Like, hey, what's, what's going on? Like, um, she shared that her mom didn't have a house. The house insurance isn't cooperating with her. She might not be able to recover anything. And then um, I supported the GoFundMe. I put it up on the thread. And, and I, I want to come back, even in the hard disagreements, even as we're laying down arguments, totally combating each other's um, ideas on this country, how do we come back to, but you're a sister and you bear God's image, that Trump bears the image of God, the police bear God's image, the protesters bear God's image, Biden bears God's image, and as Christians, we, we need to see that first. That's the command here, right? We dignify and uphold that value because that's what God's asking us to do. And we talk around that. We don't attack that. I see people attack that first. Again, dehumanizing and um, demonizing people who disagree with them. That's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for our country. That as we learn to use our voice, I know... Um, the, you know, if you moderate your voice, um, you're not going to get likes or comments. The media is not going to give you coverage. You know, we only hear the most extreme statements, but we need most um, conversations and, and words that are controlled and thoughtful and, and give value to each other. God, we just come to you this morning and we again lift up our country to you. Um, we lift up our brothers and sisters in the church uh, to you, Lord, that you would help us to model um, 
how to speak, how to not bla- um, blast and shame and guilt and um, slander, um, you know, our own church, um, people that we're hurt by, and even people who feel anonymous online and in another uh, position in political party, that we would desire um, to see your image first in others and to speak life into that. Lord, um, we don't need more words uh, most of the time. We need believers who will hear your voice, have their ears um, to your to your lips and speak words that are powerful and true because it's carried by your spirit uh, to give life to others. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.